things are pretty good. I have a good job. I have great friends. I have an awesome girlfriend. Everything's great. I take after my family. And it's just the way I was raised. I don't really have enough time to volunteer. Work is just too crazy right now. But I'm, I'm pretty successful. I may have a few bad habits, but I'm still in control. I don't drink near as much as my father does. My relationship isn't perfect, but whose is? Come on, I'm not stuck in all this. I'm not stuck. I'm not stuck in this. I'm stuck. Good morning, sleep-in service. Let's try that again. Good morning, sleep-in service. Much better. Glad that you guys are with us. Welcome to this series called Stuck. Life is full of both good and bad decisions. Two weeks ago, a young man sat across from me at a lunch and asked permission to propose to my daughter. The fact that Alex did that, I think, was a very, very good decision to seek out a blessing of sorts. And then on this past Monday night, our family celebrated a milestone. I think I actually have a picture of it because Alex got down on one knee, proposed to my baby girl, and she said yes, which I think is just absolutely incredible. I also think that was a really, really good decision. But not all the decisions we make are good ones. 1977, the senior executives of 20th Century Fox sold the product merchandising rights to a certain film for a mere $20,000. The movie, Star Wars, went on to sell over $3 billion worth of stuff, most of which is in the student ministries offices at Christ the King Community Church, because <laughs> our student ministries people are a bunch of Star Wars nerds. That was a bad decision on behalf of those executives. In 1962, the executives of Decca Records turned down a band. They said, we don't like your sound and we don't like your hair. They said, groups are out, especially four-piece groups with guitars. The band, known as the Beatles, went on to sell over two billion albums. If you don't know what an album was, it was a really big black CD <laughs> that spun in a circle. And if you don't know what a CD is, you just officially made me feel really, really old, okay? <laughs> Good and bad decisions. Life is full of them. I married Laurel Lynette Harder 26 and a half years ago. That was a good decision. In the 1980s, I had a mullet. That was a bad decision. <laughs> Borderline sinful, okay? Life is full of them, and no one has a perfect record of making perfectly good decisions. Every single day, you're going to make a decision, and they're going to impact your life one way or the other, positive or negative, good or bad. This weekend, we're going to talk about getting stuck in bad decisions and tough consequences. When I read my Bible, around the context of making bad decisions, I keep coming back to the same guy. He jumps into my brain, a guy by the name of Samson. Most of us have some familiarity with the story of Samson and Delilah, but the truth is that story is really just the apex of a series of really, really, really bad decisions. Let's walk through it together. Samson's born during the time of the judges. You can read his story, ironically, in the biblical book called Judges, okay? All right. Samson was born with supernatural strength. The guy was strong. 
Not so much in his brain or in his heart as we're going to find out, but he was physically strong. And along with his strength came a mission. Samson's mission was to deliver Israel, God's chosen people, by engaging and defeating their arch enemy, the Philistines. Israel's living under the rule of their arch enemies. How did they get there? Well, three weeks ago, I described their sin cycle to you. The cycle of sin inside of the book of Judges. Now, before you judge them, we realize every single one of us has a cycle too. But theirs goes like this. Israel serves God. And everything goes along just fine until they get all full of themselves. And then they begin to forget God, forsake God, and fall into sin. They do things that they know God has not called them to do. And they just kind of forget and leave God outside of the picture. And because of that, Israel is enslaved. At this time in history, they're enslaved by this group of people called the Philistines. While they're enslaved, they do what all of us do. When we get pinched, when we get in trouble, we call out to God. Our prayer goes something like this. God, I got myself into this, but you better get me out of that because that's your job. You're God and your job is to look after me and make sure that you love me. And if you don't love me, you're going to get me out of this. And if the pain and consequences go away, I will make you a promise, God. I promise I will never, ever, 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 ever do that again. Sound familiar? Famous last words. In the book of Judges, God raises up a judge. Amazing stories and people. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jer, Jephthah, Ibzon, Elon, Abdon, and finally a guy by the name of Samson. So Israel, or God, raises up a judge and Israel is delivered. Israel gets a clue. They come back to their identity as followers of Christ, God's chosen people. And they start serving God again for a little while and then their humanity kicks in. And they start forgetting God, and off they go on the cycle again. The reason the Israelites were under this oppressive rule is because they, erected, they rejected God. They did it to themselves, let's be honest. And God hears their cry and raises up a judge to deliver them. Here's the problem. The judge is just as human as we are. He's just like us. So let me tell you about a string of bad decisions made by this guy named Samson and how each of these decisions has so much to teach us about us. Samson's gifted by God with strength. But as always seems to happen, his great strength also becomes his greatest weakness. We can all relate to that, can't we? God gave me a mouth. Why they hand me a microphone every week, I have no idea. But I have a mouth and I talk. It can be a great strength as long as I'm telling stories about Jesus. But I will tell you, my tongue can get me in so much trouble. It's a great strength, but it's also a profound weakness. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you've been given the strength of persuasion. You can talk people into pretty much everything. That could be a strength as long as you're leading them in the right direction. But it can also be a weakness if you're persuading people to violate God's standards. Strengths and weaknesses go hand in hand. So here's a word to the wise. Whenever you're operating in your strength, be very, very careful. Because I promise you, your weakness will be right there. Samson had great physical strength. Here's the problem. Samson decides to use his gift for his own purposes. Basically, if you read the story, Samson used his physical strength, uh, he used that gift to attract attention to himself and get girls. I'm going to prove it to you in just a couple minutes. He does his own thing. He basically uses the gift to sin. Bottom line, Samson forgets his strength comes from God. Now, before you judge him, I got a question for you. Have you done the same thing? God gave you your brain. Are you using your brain to explain the existence of God away and live the way you want to? Are you using the very life and breath that God has put inside of you instead of running towards him to run in the opposite direction and run away? 
Samson forgets without God. He's got nothing because God is the one who's given us everything we have, our life, our talent, our treasure. It's all on loan to us. And whenever we forget the source of it or begin to take credit for it ourselves, it leads us down exactly the same path that Samson walked. So let's be careful how quick we judge this judge. That's his first bad decision, forgetting God as your source. Second bad decision, Samson decides to repeatedly engage the enemy socially instead of missionally. Okay, so let's understand. Samson's mission was to defeat the enemy of God's chosen people. And what does he do instead? If you read Judges chapter 14, you'll find him hanging out with them, being the life of the party and telling jokes, actually riddles. You should read it for yourself. I mean, instead of being on mission, Samson decides to become the life of the party, and he just exposes himself in a way to unbelievable temptation. When I chose to really follow Jesus, I had to make some difficult choices about the company that I kept, the people I hung out with, not because I was better than them, but because I finally, I, I realized how weak I was. I mean, not because I was better, I realized I was unbelievably weak and that old habits die hard. And if I kept hanging out with the same old crew, I knew it was only a matter of time till I ended up in the same old spot that I'd always been in. Some of us believe we can hang with our old crowd even when we're walking a brand new path. And I'm going to tell you from experience, it's not possible. You can't do it. Here's some Bible wisdom. 1 Corinthians 15 says, do not be deceived. Okay, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad friendships, bad relationships will corrupt you no matter how good you think you are. Wrong company leads to wrong decisions. Why? Because we're all weak. We all get pulled in the same direction of temptation. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer Harm. We know we're weak in certain areas of life, but we can't help ourselves. We just like to dance on the edge. We like to think that we can keep our relationship with Jesus over here on the side. We can kind of dabble in our old life, and the reality is it's just not possible. Famous last words, maybe you've heard yourself utter them. I can handle it. I can handle it. You know, the truth is we can't handle anything. And we're foolish to think that we actually can. Now, is there a time when you can return to your old group? Absolutely. After you've realized you're weak, after you've realized that your strength is from God, and only when you're going back to them on mission to introduce them to the Savior who saved your life and changed your story. Can I get an amen from 11.15? Samson's made two bad decisions. He's just getting started. Judges 15.1 says, Samson decides to neglect his marriage covenant. Judges 15.1 is a hilarious verse. It basically says this. Samson went to visit his wife and he took a goat. I have two questions. Number one, why are you visiting your wife? Shouldn't you be living with your wife? Shouldn't you be being intimate with your wife? Shouldn't you be spending time with your wife? Why are you visiting your wife? And question number two, what's up with the goat? Like of all the things you could have taken along with you. Well, culturally, it's important to know this. A goat in Philistine culture was a peace offering. So obviously, Samson had done something really, 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 really bad. He should have been here two weeks ago when we talked about the marriage ruts, right? Samson's neglecting his wife. It's a bad decision to the husbands in the room who have replaced their wives with video games, fantasy football, and the NFL. Guys, it's a bad decision. It's a bad decision. 
to the wives in the room who replaced their husbands with online conversations, shopping, and comparisons. Ladies, it's a bad decision. Ooh, it's quiet. We went from preaching to meddling, just like that, didn't we? To those of you who are here loving each other like Jesus loves the church, that's a good decision. You keep doing that, and we will cheer for you. Samson gets on the slippery slope, and it goes from bad to worse. Judges 16.1 tells us that Samson decides to reject God and willfully break his commands. That verse says this. It's brutal. One day, Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. And he went in to spend the night with her. That's a bad decision. That's a bad moral decision. I don't even need to elaborate on that. It's just flat out wrong. And then four verses later, just four verses later, the Bible says this. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman whose name was Delilah. Samson's got this relationship uh, you know, just in and out of the same door over and over again. It's just a revolving door of relationships. And for some of us, that should be convicting. Because that describes us. We're just a revolving door of relationships. And we never ever stop because they're never good enough and you're always looking and you're always pursuing and you're never satisfied and you're always thinking you deserve better. And so we just keep the revolving door spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. Could it be that you need to stop the revolving door of relationships in your life? Could it be that you need to stop, become fixated on a relationship with Jesus Christ, and when that relationship gets healthy enough and whole enough, maybe then and only then will you be ready to start making good decisions on this level? Samson starts hanging with his new girlfriend. And in doing so, Samson decides to repeatedly make himself vulnerable. Judges 16, it's a famous story. Delilah shows up in Samson's life, and she has a mission too. Her mission is to figure out the secret to his strength. Samson was a Nazarite. There were basically three rules for a Nazarite. It was a Nazarite vow. It was a holy vow. You weren't allowed to eat anything that had great products in it. You couldn't touch a dead body, and you could never cut your hair. And Delilah wants to figure out what's the secret to Samson's strength so that they can take his strength away from him so that, he'll stop, so that he, she will stop messing up the people because Delilah's a Philistine. Why are you dating the enemy, Samson? Good question. Delilah uses her feminine wiles to get the answer. And Samson just keeps going back for more. Over and over and over again. Three times she begs him, tell me the secret of your strength. Three times. He lies. He lies about it. I mean, anybody else figured out how, how beneficial it is in your marriage relationship to lie to your spouse? It just works so well all the time, right? It's just so good, so positive, so beneficial. It just goes so well for you when you do that, right? Come on, people. Work with me just a little. You guys, all you have this sanctimonious, I've never lied to my spouse. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> three times she begs, three times he lies, three times she sulks, and three times she sets him up. Three times she sets him up. She says, tell me the secret of your strength. He lies to her. And then he goes to sleep. She does whatever he lied to her about. And then people come in, tie him up in ropes, and Samson wakes up and says, like, what's up with the ropes? 
snap because he lied to her. It's not the real source of his strength. I mean, at what point do you not figure out that she's up to no good when people keep showing up in your bedroom and tying you up? He's like, what are you thinking? Here's the crazy thing. Three times she sets him up and three times he falls for it. Same thing. Keeps going back to the same old mistake, the same old failure, the same old sin, and we judge him. We think in our head, what an idiot. Question for you. What do you keep going back to over and over? and over, and over again. Here's some biblical wisdom. It's a gross verse out of Proverbs 26. As a dog returns to its vomit, ugh, so fools repeat their folly. Oh. It's kind of gross, isn't it? Taking God's grace for granted and repeating the same sin over and over and over and over and over again. It's kind of gross, isn't it? Another bad decision follows. Samson decides to reveal his weakness to somebody who will actually exploit it. Samson gives the wrong information to the wrong person. He lacks judgment. And that's why he's making all these bad decisions. I mean, that's what happens, right? When you lack judgment, you make bad decisions. So Delilah comes to him, and she's been pleading, she's been sulking, she's been asking, tell me the secret of your strength, and he just doesn't get a clue. He doesn't understand. If you keep doing what you've always done, you're always going to have what you've always had. You're just stuck there. Listen to what she says to him in verse 15 from Judges 16. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you? Can you just hear the angst? How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. That's a whole marriage seminar right there. And if you think I'm touching it this morning, no way. All right? I'm just going to let that settle in the room, okay? Here's what's crazy. Samson caves to the pressure. He not only reveals the secret to his strength, but he does it to a person who's proven repeatedly that she wanted the information to harm him and derail his mission. There's a word for that, stupidity, when you just keep going back over and over and over again. Now, before you judge him, and before you judge him, I only need to look back at the consequences of my own stupid decisions to realize the number of times that I just kept handing myself over to a liar named Satan who repeatedly played me so that he could not only harm me, but steal the mission that Jesus had for me. Here's the problem with Samson. He's just like me. He's my mirror. Listen to the Bible describe what happens after the secret is revealed. Because he tells her, the secret to my great strength is in my hair. You know what's the problem? He still doesn't get it. His strength was never in his hair. It was a symbol of where his strength really came from. In case you're still wondering where his strength came from, look no further than God. 
Delilah takes advantage. He finally says, it's in my hair. So for the third time, he falls asleep, takes a nap. In comes her little group of guys. They tie him up. They snip his hair off. And here's the consequences of all of these bad decisions. The Bible says this. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. I find myself there. I've always been able to handle it before. I've always had the strength before. I'm just going to do what I've always done, knowing that it's going to create the same kind of an outcome. The famous last words, the greatest Christian lie of all. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then comes the most tragic verse of the whole epic story. The Bible says, but he did not know that God had left him. When pride enters into a life, the Bible says that not only will God not tolerate it, God will oppose it. When you begin thinking you're all that and that it's all about your flowing locks and your glory days when you were in a hair metal band back in the 1980s and you were doing your own thing and doing whatever you wanted to, God's just like, I'll press back against that because you forgot me. You've heard me say this before. When pride walks onto a stage, Jesus walks off. Samson puts himself in a vulnerable position, and this is what happens. Verse 21, then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Don't miss out the depth of meaning that's there. The Philistines worshipped a little g-god by the name of Dagon. Dagon was the god of the harvest. Philistines considered grinding grain an act of worship. So get the picture. An Israelite judge who was supposed to deliver the people of Israel from the Philistines is now worshiping at the feet of a little G-God that he hates. It doesn't get any lower than that. Now before you think you can't relate or that Samson somehow is in a different category, I'll ask you a question. Have you ever found yourself repeatedly worshiping at the feet of a little G-God that you hate? Some of us will no, absolutely not. Then why do you keep going back to the same computer mouse that opens up the same picture that leads you down the same path? You end up worshiping at the feet of a little G-God that you hate. Every time you go back to the substance or the bottle to numb your pain, you're worshiping at the feet of a little G-God that you hate. Every time you neglect the love of your life and choose another God to come in and replace that person, you're worshiping at the feet of a little G-God that you hate. Anytime you're just like, Grant, that's not worship. I'm just doing my own thing. Anything you put your time, your money, or your attention towards, that's a little G-God. And you're worshiping. Put it in your outline this way. Samson's consequences for a series of bad decisions. He ends up worshiping at the feet of a little G-God that he hates. Some of you are completely bummed out for coming for church today. You're just like, you totally messed up my favorite Bible story. I used to love the whole Samson and Delilah thing and shaking it loose. I mean, that was awesome. And now you completely messed with my favorite Bible story. Now, the truth is it's a grim story. But it's not over. In fact, here's what's amazing. In spite of everything Samson did or didn't do, God steps in 
and exhibits grace. He gives Samson the exact opposite of what he deserves. God's grace is this. After all the bad decisions, God still answers Samson's prayer. So here's how the story goes. Samson's grinding grain, walking in a circle in a prison. And they make a decision. The Philistine leadership decides, let's get that Israelite judge out here because they're going to throw a party in a large built stone colonnade building. And they bring Samson in. They've gouged out his eyes. He can't see. They've shaved his head bald. He's not strong anymore. And they string him between, between two huge stone columns. And they make fun of him. And they laugh at him. And they're just like, look, look, where's the God of Israel now, Samson? Come on, Samson, flex for us. Do something incredible. Look at you now. You're helpless. And he is helpless. And he does what so many of us have done. He does what I have done so many times. In a place of desperation, I do cry out. The Bible says, then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord. Elohim Adonai. Sovereign Lord. Remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Do you hear that? God, remember me. The guy with the terrible track record, the guy with the horrible spiritual resume, the guy who made all of the wrong decisions at all of the wrong times. God, I know I deserve to be forgotten, but remember me. I should have, I used up all your grace a long, long time ago, but remember me. I got myself here, but I need mercy. God, I got it wrong. It wasn't my hair. It wasn't me. You are my strength. You are my shield. God, help me. And here's the crazy thing. God does. God does. I'm, Samson should be so glad I was not God in that moment. If I was God in that moment, I would have been, look, little man, you got what's coming to you. You're going to get what you deserve. You left me on the sideline a long, long time ago. So here's the deal. You're just going to have to sit there in your disgrace because I'm not touching you. You lost your shot. That's what I would have thought if I was God. Boy, am I glad that God didn't treat me that way. God hears him. It helps him. Wow. The Bible says Samson pushes out the supports of the building where this Philistine party is happening and the leaders die. And here's the hard part. So does Samson. But in his death, he still accomplishes God's mission. My friends, you need to know something. With or without you, God is going to have his way. Why not be with him? Instead of without him. A lifetime of bad decisions and yet one good decision to cry out changes everything. Why is that? Because the Bible says the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Listen to this. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. Listen, he does not treat us as our sins deserve. Or repay us according to our iniquities or our broken track record of bad decisions. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our sin from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he never forgets that we're made out of dust. We've had a lot of conversation today about bad decisions. A lot of people looking at the floor. I understand that. I've been holding up a mirror that's had Samson in it all week long. Hard to talk about. If those are the consequences for bad decision, I've got a question. What's the power of one good decision look like? Like what if today all you walked out of here with was a resolve in your heart and a covenant with God to make one good, powerful, godly decision? What if you broke this cycle and went a different direction than Samson? I wonder if Samson would be here and say, don't let my life count for nothing. Make one good godly decision today. Well, I'm going to show you something. A couple of weeks ago, I got to see the power of one good godly decision on the other side of the world in Thailand. So I'm going to show you a little video introduction, and then I'm going to tell you the rest of the story. Let's watch it together. Four years ago, a man from Christ the King Church went to the other side of the world. He went to the beautiful land of Thailand. He went from the inner city of Bangkok to the pages of National Geographic within about 24 hours. Steve and his team decided to take a, a blessing to the Mokan people. And they gave them a simple blessing of rice and oil. To us, that doesn't seem like very much, but to them, it's a way to live. So Steve and his team arrived at the dock at Elephant Island. And as often happens, because they were new and different, the entire village came down to greet them. When Steve and his team were done handing out their blessing, at the end of the day, they were getting ready to disappear when a little boy caught Steve's eye. When we were doing the blessing, our team was doing the blessing with the rice and oil, this little boy caught my eye with little brown eyes. And something inside me said, give him your hat. But as I gave it to him, he turned and ran away on the dock. And I asked Mike, the missionary, I said, where is he going? And he said, you just gave him the first thing he's ever had in his life. Stephen Carla Cowden made the decision that day to actually sponsor that little boy, not knowing where the journey was going to go. It's amazing what God can do with such a little act of obedience. When I heard we were going to Thailand, I thought to myself, I got to find that hat. I'm going to find that white Nike hat that Steve gave away. So we went to the other side of the world. We spent several hours in a long boat going out to Elephant Island. When we got there, 
through translators, we were asking questions. And I asked, gang, where's the hat? I don't have it anymore. I was a little bummed out. Like, you don't have the hat? No, you didn't. Mike, the missionary, said, Grant, you need to understand the rest of the story. He goes, Steve gave his hat to Gang on Elephant Island. And then Gang was selected to come to the mainland and go to this Christian school. You guys don't know this, but you've been underwriting that school for several years. You built a security fence for them. You built a water filtration system for them. The kids at Elephant Island in that little school, they know the people of Christ the King very, very well because you've completely transformed their lives. That's what you did. Gang got to go to school. He got educated. And one day, he gave his hat away to a friend who was going on a special outing. Here was the problem. Gang never got the hat back. And some of us are just like, what's the big deal? Just go to Walmart and buy another hat. You can't. And in Moken culture, when you take something that doesn't belong to you and you don't return it, you are never spoken to again. You are completely shunned. In fact, it can cost you your life. But here was what was weird. Gang gave his hat away, and when he never got it back, something kicked into his soul. Because Gang had been learning about a man named Jesus, who didn't give people what they deserved, but instead decided to forgive. And it sent ripples through the entire village when Gang did the unthinkable. He forgave the kid who took his hat. Steve thought, well, I can't have all the kids running around like taking hats, so the answer to the story is I should probably send them all hats. So he did. If you show up over there, there's cowed and gravel hats all over the place, right? <laughs> so I thought, well, if we can't find the white hat, let's go find the green cowden hat. So I went to gang. Hey, gang, where's your green cowden hat? I don't have it anymore. Gang, where's your hat? Gang's father is one of the few people from Elephant Island who don't yet know Jesus. And Gang took his hat and gave it to his dad in an act of kindness because his dad works in the sun all day and that just seemed like the right decision to make. And the ripples still go. Bad decisions destroy lives. Good decisions change lives. So I put this, and we're going to close with this this morning. What's one godly decision you can make and act on today? What's one godly decision you can make? Now, you notice it doesn't stop there because so much, oh, we make a good decision. Samson probably made so many good decisions. Here was the problem. He got stuck in good intentions. What's one godly decision you can make and then act on today? Some of you are just like, whoa, 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 that thing that God put in my head, I am so not doing that. That would require sacrifice. That would require forgiveness. That would require restoration. That would require reconciliation. I am so not doing that. I'll do anything else, but I'm not doing that. Hi, Samson. Snip. What's the one good and godly decision you can make today and act 
on it. Do you need to make the decision to shift company until you're strong enough to be able to go back on a mission for Jesus? Do you need to admit you can't handle it? Do you need to stop putting yourself in the same risky situations over and over and over again? What's the one good and godly decision that God is asking you to make today? Here's the whole point of church, and then we're done. Do it. Just do it. Just say what? But no, Grant, you don't understand. There's all kinds of pain attached to it and years and years of stuff. And I made a lot of bets. Do it. You might change a whole village. I know a certain village in Whatcom County that needs some people to change. This one. What if we all made the single decision? To make and act on one single godly decision before the sun went down tonight and we did it. Samson would say, guys, don't let my life be wasted. If he could make a godly decision today, he would. He wouldn't save it all to the end. So whatever it is that God has placed in your head and your heart right now, that is what God wants you to apply to your life as you leave church today. Let's pray for strength and then we'll be gone. Father God, in this moment, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, for those who've already written it down, I know exactly what God wants me to do. God, would you give them the strength? Lord, for those who are resisting you just like Samson did, God, I pray that they would weigh in their mind the beauty of being obedient to you. So God, we ask for the power to discern a decision and then to act on it. And out of our obedience, may the name of the Lord be praised. And we pray these things together. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.